Guys, this is amazing. We've gone through the entire New Testament and now we're journeying through the entire Old Testament. We've gone through Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, and now we are in Judges. That's amazing. That's amazing that we get to do that. I really appreciate you. Um, I've got Georgia in the house, Philly in the house, Akron, Ohio in the house, Hammond, Indiana, Florida, Georgia, Philly, Columbia, Brooklyn, Delaware, Massachusetts, Boston, Cincinnati, Ohio, Atlanta, Woodbury, Look at that. Trinidad and Tobago. Um, the, the podcast is called the Read and Rant Podcast. And the reason why we call it the Read and Rant Podcast is because this is just recordings of what we're doing here live, where I spend time live with you all reading through the scripture. And then um, and then I spend some time just reflecting on the word. It's There's nothing really, I wouldn't say cohesive, but it's just I don't have anything structured or planned uh, for today except to simply rant and just reflect on the word. And so it's a read and rant. And so we spent about 20 minutes reading. We spent another 20 minutes, uh, 20 to 30 minutes, sometimes an hour if I'm afforded the time ranting. So, and that's what we're here to do. We got Arkansas, Tennessee in the house, North Carolina, Florida. I've got on my, uh, my G fam, I got Kissimmee, South Africa, Nigeria, Man, yes, I'm going to read through the whole entire scripture. So we will be reading through the book of Psalms when we get to it. Detroit in the house, St. Louis in the house. That's what's up, man. Um, good to see you all. Um, I, I want to encourage you right now to go ahead and turn your Bibles to uh, Judges, the book of Judges. Now, I want to give a disclaimer here. Usually I read uh, the scriptures with my boys. Um, Judges is tough. So we'll let you guys know that ahead of time. Judges is, uh, it's tough. And it's tough to read. Um, it's tough to read the scriptures uh, with your kids. This part of the scripture with your, your kids. Um, hey, Malbo, uh, please do not mute me. Um, okay. Um, I'm, I don't know if I have time to get to it. We're going to fo- focus on, um, if we get, we're just going to focus on the reading. And then if I have time, then I'll, I'll get to your question. So hang, hang with me there. Um, you just, you know, we ask that you guys aren't a distraction, but, um, I don't have any problem with anyone asking or even disagreeing. Some of you guys might be on here and you guys don't even believe this word or agree with any of it, or maybe you just don't know where you stand. And if that's where you are, Welcome. Welcome. I hope I give you a different perspective of the word. For those of you who have been journeying with us, you know that this has been maybe a different. Um, this may this may have been just just you may have never seen the Bible this way. You've never been even taught the Bible this way. This may be. And notice, I'm not even doing much teaching. I know you guys are saying that I, the teaching has been amazing, but I'm all I'm doing is reflecting on what it's actually saying. I haven't even gotten to like the deep. The, the, the deep teaching part of it. Um, and so um, I hope that this uh, this has been fruitful for you. I know it's been fruitful for a lot of you. So anyway, um, I want to go ahead and and, and we're going to get right into Judges. Um, the reason why Judges is tough to read is because there's um, a lot of questions that 
um, that you may not want to address with your kids right now. Okay, um, it's an incredibly violent book. It's uh, gory. It's uh, it's a lot of everything. <laughs> All right, just think of like Game of Thrones on steroids, and that's the Book of Judges. So there you go. If that helps you, if that helps you understand the Book of Judges. But one thing that I will say, and then we're going to get into the reading, is. This has all been a story leading up to this point. And I hope you guys are seeing that now, that this is a story leading up to this point. Okay, so so it's Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, not a law, but actually a story that that, that's leading up to this point. We read Joshua and Joshua closed with them in the promised land now, giving them orders and telling them to now be a holy people separate to rule and to govern as God intends for mankind to govern on the earth. They were intended to be the nation of priests to show what the kingdom of God would look like, what God is like and how God rules on earth. And now we get to Judges. Judges chapter one, we're going to read. But we're going to ask three questions. God, what are you revealing concerning yourself? What are you revealing concerning people? And what are you revealing concerning me? Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this time. Lord, as we engage in your word today, I just pray, Lord, that you would guide, that you would lead, that you would speak uh, to me and uh, to all of us who are reading today. Father, we have people from all around the world right now from all around the nation, all around the world, coming together right now to read your word. So I just pray, Lord, that you would um, meet us where we are in each of our respective places that we may encounter you. And we say that in Jesus' name. Amen. Judges 1. Let's get to it. Now, after the death of Joshua, it came to pass that the children of Israel asked the Lord, saying, Who shall be first to go up for us against the Canaanites to fight against them? And the Lord said, Judah shall go up. Indeed, I have delivered the land into his hand. So Judah said to Simeon, his brother, come up with me to my allotted territory that we may fight against the Canaanites. And I will likewise go with you to your allotted territory. And Simeon went with him. Then Judah went up and the Lord delivered the Canaanites and the Perizzites into their hand. And they killed 10,000 men at Bezek. And they found Adonai Bezek in Bezek and fought against him. And they defeated the Canaanites and the Perizzites. Then Adonai Bezek fled and they pursued him and caught him and cut off his thumbs and big toes. And Adonai Bezek said, 70 kings with their thumbs and big toes cut off, cut off, used to gather scraps under my table as I have done. So God has repaid me. Then they brought him to Jerusalem and there he died. Now the children of Judah fought against Jerusalem and took it. They struck it with the edge of the sword and set the city on fire. And afterward, the children of Judah went down to fight against the Canaanites who dwelt in the mountains in the south and in the lowland. Then Judah went against the Canaanites who dwelt in Hebron. Now the name of Hebron was formerly Kerjath Arba. And they killed Shashai, Ahiman, Ahiman, and Talamai. From there, they went against the inhabitants of Debir. The name of Debir was formerly Kerjath Sefer. Then Caleb said, 
Whoever attacks Kurjasefer and takes it to him, I will give my daughter Aksha as wife. And Othniel, the son of Kenaz, Caleb's younger brother, took it. So he gave him his daughter Aksha as wife. Now it happened when she came to him that she urged him to ask her father for a field. And she dismounted from her donkey and Caleb said to her, what do you wish? So she said to him, give me a blessing. Since you have given me land in the south, give me also springs of water. And Caleb gave the upper springs and the lower springs. Now the children of the Kenite, Moses' father-in-law, went up from the city of Palms with the children of Judah into the land of into the wilderness of Judah, which lies in the south near Arad. And they went and dwelt among the people. And Judah went with his brother Simeon, and they attacked the Canaanites who inhabited Zephath and utterly destroyed it. So the name of the city was called Hormah. Also, Judah took Gaza with its territory, Ashkelon with its territory, Ekron with its territory. So the Lord was with Judah and they drove out the mountaineers, but they could not drive out the inhabitants of the lowland because he had chariots of iron. And they gave Hebron to Caleb, as Moses had said. Then, then he expelled from there the three sons of Anak. But the children of Benjamin did not drive out the Jebusites who inhabited Jerusalem. So the Jebusites dwelt with the children of Benjamin in Jerusalem to this day. And the house of Joseph went up against Bethel, and the Lord was with them. And the house of Joseph sent men to spy out Bethel. The name of the city was formerly Luz. And when the spies saw a man coming out of the city, they said to him, Please show us the entrance of the city, and we will show you mercy. So he showed them the entrance of the city, and they struck the city with the edge of the sword. So they let the man and all his family go. And the man went to the land of the Hittites, built a city, and called its name Luz, which is its name to this day. However, Manasseh did not drive out the inhabitants of Bethshan and its villages, or Tanakh and its villages, or the inhabitants of Dor and its villages, or the inhabitants of Ebliam and its villages, or the inhabitants of Megiddo and its villages, for the Canaanites were determined to dwell in the land. Hmm. And it came to pass when Israel was strong that they put the Canaanites under tribute, but did not completely drive them out. Nor did Ephraim drive out the Canaanites who dwelt in Gezer. So the Canaanites dwelt in Gezer among them. Nor did Zebulon drive out the Canaanite, the inhabitants of Kitron and the inhabitants of Nahalal. So the Canaanites dwelt among them and were put under tribute. Nor did Asher drive out the inhabitants of Akko or the inhabitants of Sidon, or Alab, or Akzib, or El- Helba, or Afik, or Rehob. So the Asherites dwelt, in the, dwelt among the Canaanites, and the inhabitants of the land did not drive them out. Nor did Naphtali drive out the inhabitants of Beshemesh, or the inhabitants of Beth Anath. But they dwelt among the Canaanites, the inhabitants of the land. Nevertheless, the inhabitants of Beshemesh and Beth Anath were put under tribute to them. And the Amorites forced the children of Dan into the mountains, for they would not allow them to come down to the valley. And the Amorites were determined to dwell in Mount Harris and Ashelon and in Shalbim, Shalbim. Yet when the strength of the house of Joseph became greater, they were put under tribute. Now the boundary of the Amorites was from the ascent of Akribim, from Selah and upwards. Judges 2. 
Then the angel of the Lord came up from Gilgal to Bochim and said, I led you up from Egypt and brought you into the land which I swore to your fathers and said, I will never break my covenant with you. And you shall make no covenant with the inhabitants of the land, this land. You shall tear down their altars, but you have not obeyed my voice. Why have you done this? Therefore also I said, I will not drive them out before you, but they shall be thorns on your side and their God shall be a snare to you. So it was when the angel of the Lord spoke these words to all the children of Israel that the children lifted their voices and wept. Then they called the name of the place Bochim, and they sacrificed there to the Lord. And when Joshua had dismissed the people, the children of Israel went to each own inheritance and possessed the land. So the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua who had seen all the great works of the Lord, which had been done for Israel. Now Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died when he was <clears throat> when he was 110 years old. And they buried him within the border of the inheritance of Timnath-Heres in the mountains of Ephraim, on the north side of Mount Gosh. When all that generation had been gathered to their fathers, another generation arose after them who did not know the Lord, nor the work which he had done for Israel. Then the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord and served Baals. And they forsook the Lord God of their fathers, who had brought them out of the land of Egypt, and they followed other gods from among the gods, other people who were all around them, and they bowed down to them, and they provoked the Lord to anger. They forsook the Lord and served Baal and the Ashtoreths. And the anger of the Lord was hot against Israel, so he delivered them up into the hands of the plunderers who despoiled them, and he sold them into the hands of their enemies all around so that they could no longer stand before their enemies. Wherever they went out, the hand of the Lord was against them for calamity, and the Lord had said, and as the Lord had sworn to them, and they were greatly distressed. Nevertheless, the Lord raised up judges who delivered them out of the hand of those who plundered them. Yet they would not listen to their judges, but they played the harlot with the other gods and bowed to them. They turned quickly from the way in which their fathers walked in obeying the commandments of the Lord. They did not do so. And when the Lord raised up judges for them, the Lord was with the judge and delivered them out of the hand of their enemies all the days of the judge. For the Lord was moved to pity by their groaning because of those who oppressed them and harassed them. And it came to pass when the judge was dead that they reverted and behaved more corruptly than their fathers. By following other gods to serve them and bow down to them, they did not cease from their own doings nor from their stubborn way. Then the anger of the Lord was hot against Israel. And he said, because this nation has transgressed my covenant, which I commanded their fathers and has not heeded my voice, I also will no longer drive them out, uh, drive out before them any, uh, any of the nations with Joshua left when he died. So that through them, I may test Israel, whether they will keep the ways of the Lord to walk in them as their fathers kept them or not. Therefore, the Lord left those nations without driving them out immediately 
nor did he deliver them into the hand of Joshua. So much there. Judges 3. Now these are the nations which, which the Lord left, that he might test Israel by them. That is, all who had not known any of the wars in Canaan. This was only so that the generations of the children of Israel might be taught to know war, at least those who had not formerly known it, namely five lords of the Philistines, all Canaanites and Sidonians and the Hivites who dwelt in Mount Lebanon, from Mount Baal Hermon to the entrance of Hamath, and they were left that he might test Israel by them to know whether they would obey the commandments of the Lord, which he had commanded their fathers by the hand of Moses. Thus the children dwelt among the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And they took their daughters to be their wives and gave their daughters to their sons, and they served their gods. So the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. They, they forgot the Lord their God and served Baals and Asherahs. Therefore, the anger of the Lord was hot against Israel, and he sold them into the hand of Cushan Rishnathaim, the king of Mesopotamia. And the children of Israel served Cushan Rishnathaim eight years. And the children of Israel cried out to the Lord. The Lord raised up a deliverer to the children of Israel who would deliver them. Othniel, son of Kenaz, Caleb's younger brother. The Spirit of the Lord came upon him, and he judged Israel, and went out to war, and the Lord and the Lord delivered Cushan, Resnathaim, king of Mesopotamia, into his hand, and his hand prevailed over Cushan, Resnathaim. So the land had rest for forty years. Then Othniel, the son of Kenaz, died. And the children of Israel again did evil in the sight of the Lord. So the Lord strengthened Eglon, king of Moab, against Israel because they had done evil in the sight of the Lord. Then he gathered to himself the people of Ammon and Amalek, went and defeated Israel and took possession of the city of Palms. So the children of Israel served Eglon, king of Moab, 18 years. Then the children of Israel cried out to the Lord and the Lord raised up a deliverer for them, Ehud son of Gera, the Benjamite, a left-handed man. By him, the children of Israel sent tribute to Eglon, king of Moab. Now Ehud made himself a dagger. It was double-edged and a cubit in length and fastened it under his clothes on his right thigh. He brought the tribute to Eglon, king of Moab. Now Eglon was a very fat man. <laughs> and he had finished presenting the tribute and he sent him away and the people had carried the tribute. But he himself turned back from the stone images that were at, at Gilgal and said, I have a secret message for you, O king. He said, keep silence. And all who attended went out from him. So Ehud came to him. Now he was sitting upstairs in his cool private chamber. Then Ehud said, I have a message from God for you. So he arose from his seat. Then Ehud reached with his left hand, took the dagger from his right thigh and thrust it into his belly. Even the hilt went in after the blade. The fat closed over the blade, for he did not draw the dagger out of his belly, and his entrails came out. Then Ehud went out through the porch, 
and shut the doors in the upper room from behind him and locked them. And when he had gone out, Eglon's servants came to look, and to their surprise, the doors of the upper room were locked. So they said, he's probably attending to the need to his needs in the cool chamber. So they waited till he till they were embarrassed, and still he had not opened the doors of the upper room. Therefore, they took the key and opened them, and there was their master fallen dead on the floor. But Ehud had escaped while they delayed and passed beyond the stone images and escaped Sarah. And it happened. When he arrived, he blew the trumpet in the mountains of Ephraim, and the children of Israel went down with him from the mountains, and he led them. Then he said to them, Follow me, for the Lord has delivered your enemies, the Moabites, into your hand. So he went down after him, seized the fords of the Jordan leading to Moab, and did not allow anyone to cross over. And at the time, they killed about 10,000 men of Moab, all stout men of valor. Not a man escaped. So Moab was subdued that day under the hand of Israel, and the land had rest for 80 years. After him was Shamgar, the son of Anath, who killed 600 men of Philistines with an ox goad, and he also delivered Israel. I'm going to stop here um, since we're going to get to Deborah um, tomorrow in Judges uh, chapter four. Um, so I'm going to, yeah, I'm, I'm going to stop here. Um, I have a few thoughts that I want to share with you as we navigate through um, this next uh this next chapter or the next few chapters. Um, so as you can see, uh, the, the book of judges is, uh, in a lot of ways, the game of Thrones. Um, <laughs> if you see game of Thrones and you've watched the game of Thrones, then you would, know exactly what I'm talking about. Um, the book of Judges is um, it's violent. It's uh, it's barbaric. It's it's sensual. It's got everything. It's all of it. It's all of it. And I, I, and I think what I like about the book of Judges and maybe it's tough for some to accept uh, I like the book of Judges because the book of Judges is real. It's real. Um, and I think for me, if I if I could, if I could just be real and honest with you, one of my frustrations uh, in the body of Christ is we have a tendency to present a, a PG gospel. We have a tendency to present uh, a PG reality. We have a tendency to um, present the Bi- even the Bible in a way that uh, that's euphemistic. We will euphemize the scriptures so as to appease people or to make people feel comfortable or somehow we would like to ignore um, these parts of scripture 
when I believe that we need to embrace these parts of the scripture. Because as you just said, Sherry, the world is rated R. The world is rated X. (laughs) The world is rated everything. If there's anything that you should know about humanity is that humanity is pretty ugly. Uh, Humanity is nasty. The human condition is nasty, ugly, violent, gory. Everything about the human condition is everything we see. I think that's part of the reason why, um, you know, people caught on to hip hop music in the way that they did, because what hip hop did was is hip hop exposed humanity. People sometimes go, well, the hip hop, all these lyrics and all this stuff. And, you know, it's so it's so, you know, misogynistic and this and this and that. And yet what hip hop does is and I always said this, you know, because I'm, you know, I was a hip hop fan. I was a hip hop producer, so I can speak into this. But what hip hop does is simply expose reality. What hip hop does is hip hop exposes what's already out there. People always say, well, you know, um, people are being influenced by the music. No, no, I actually believe it's the other way around. I actually believe that the music just simply reflects what's going on in the real world. It's reflecting reality. We have the tendency to try to cover up humanity with our own sort of euphemistic lens not really acknowledging that the world is really an ugly place. And I actually, I think it's the euphemizing of humanity that makes us somehow feel like we are better and holier than thou. There's a lot of ugly things that are happening behind closed doors. That's just the reality. There are a lot of ugly things happening behind closed doors and because at the root, the human condition is very, very ugly. It is. And until you can acknowledge that, until you will acknowledge the messiness of humanity. Yeah, right. Like we we have this G-rated presentation of the gospel. What you create is an inauthentic expression of the gospel and also an inauthentic expression of the scriptures in a way where it almost looks like it almost looks fake. The way we present the Bible can often look fake because we have a way of presenting the scriptures in a way that almost seems disconnected. We create this sort of weird utopian uh, euphemized reality that people in the real world are looking at it and they're going, Okay, this is a great story, but this has no application to me. I'm encouraged by books like Judges. Because what the book of Judges does is the book of Judges exposes that there's nothing new under the sun. Let me say that one more time. There's nothing new under the sun. Okay? You know, uh, I, I always find it, I was I always found it uh comical. When people talk about the moral degradation of today's age, I always find that comical. Like, oh my goodness, the morality of our country is has just declined. Or 
the morality of the world is in decline. It's in this 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 decline. And I'm like, no, the morality of the world is not in decline. It's just that the morality of the world is more exposed. The world hasn't changed. The world is the world. <laughs> it hasn't changed. The, people are people. That's what people are. I think we have to acknowledge that. People are people. And if we don't fully embrace that, then why do we need a savior? Why? The book of Judges really reveals to me, and, 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 and it, it, it's encouraging, but it, it exposes the reality that we are hopeful, hopelessly, not hopefully, but hopelessly, hopelessly incapable of fixing ourselves. Like we're, we're hopelessly incapable of correcting ourselves, and we are hopelessly deprived hopelessly deprived and if you if you can't see that up to this point like if you can't if you can't see how morally degrading we are as a people um just in our if you put people in the wild i know that you know i mean we have movies that show this and stories that show this right we watch the game of thrones and everything else and all that good stuff that that reveal this but we have books if you read the lord of the flies you see what the lord of the flies does right in that book which is a great book by the way if you ever have a chance to read it one of the great literary pieces and yet what it reveals to us is that we are we are just some morally deep bankrupt decrepit people that's who we are that's who we are and we have to embrace that we have to embrace that i heard a story of a pastor who um he was sharing it to me that they were doing a lesson on the gospel and they were preaching the gospel and teaching the gospel to children and when they got to the to the part about sin and how we are all born inherently sinful and this is to kids one of the children had asked and said um you know so are you saying that I've, I've, i was born like a sinful person and i was born bad and and he was saying yes you, you you're born a sinner and the child went crying and weeping to his mother and he went crying, he went weeping to his mother to tell his mother, mom, I'm just an inherently sinful person. I'm, I'm actually, I was born sinful. I was born with the, you know, the ability to do bad things. The mother who you would think would embrace that to give that child hope, what the mother did instead was the mother went back to the pastor and in a, in a lot of ways, cussed the pastor out. To tell the pastor, how dare you tell my son that he's a bad person and that he's inherently bad or inherently a sinner? No, my son is a good person. He was born a good person. How dare you do that? And that young lady left the church because of that reality. Thank you so much, zombie man. Thank you so much for the gift. Um. We have a tendency to be those people. Maybe you look at that person and go, man, that's kind of tough that she would do that. But we all do it in some degree. We like to present a euphemized reality of life. We don't like sharing the ugliness of our lives and the ugliness of our hearts and the ugliness of our stories. 
What's up, Mark? We don't like sharing the, 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 the nastiness of it all. We don't, we don't like revealing or exposing the depravity, the moral depravity. And so for me, reading the book of Judges helps me. It, it brings me to the cognizance that my goodness, human beings are some, some, just some, some trash people. Human beings are morally bankrupt. Every human being is born morally bankrupt. You don't need to teach a child. Man, I might just sit on this today. You don't need to teach a child to lie. You don't need to teach a child to cheat. You don't have to teach a child to be selfish. You don't have to teach a child to sneak around. You do not have to teach them any of that. You want to know why? Because they will naturally do it on their own. When we talk about this, right? In sin, my mother conceived me. Like that, that principle. In sin, my mother conceived me. Do we really understand what that means when he says that? That in sin, my mother conceived me. He's saying, I was born with a natural propensity to do everything other than what God desires me to be and to do. That's just who I am. And that's what that exposes. And that's the reality that the book of Judges is exposing. The book of Judges is, um, and that's why I say that sometimes it's hard um, to, and I don't know at what age I want to really go down and break down. And I don't know if you have kids who are, who are, um, who are reading this along with me up to this point, you'll say, okay, it's kind of cool. You know, I can read this with my kids. But when you get to this part, there's some questions, right? There's some questions. Even then, even when we read it, we just skip over some stuff. We skip over some of the stuff that we see here. We're talking about Ehud, right? Who, who literally puts a dagger into uh, an obese man and it says his entrails came out. Literally his guts spilled out. I'm sorry if your kids are watching but his guts spill out and, 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 and the ones who were attending to him, his servants, they saw that the door was locked and y'all, y'all, y'all gonna miss this. Okay. This is, I just, I just want you to get a picture of the, the moral bankruptcy and depravity of, of the people in this time. He says, when he had gone out, Eglon's servants came to look verse 24 and to their surprise, the doors of the upper room were locked. So they said, he's probably attending to his needs in the cool chamber. Did y'all catch that? They legit thought that Ehud had something going on, right? They, they, they thought, hey, these two guys, they, you know, they, they, I guess they're taking care of each other's business. Do I need to go any deeper? <laughs> do, do I need to go any further? They, they said, oh, he locked the door. Oh man, he's, he's getting served. <laughs> um, he's getting served a happy ending <laughs> oh see here's the thing right we can be so so christian that we we forget the reality of the world that we live in as if we don't know i like when people just act like they don't know i don't know i, I, don't, I don't get it i don't know what he's talking about what, what is he talking about here what is this he's he's wait what now what did he say he says um He's probably attending to his needs in the cool chamber. Everybody knew what that meant then. 
okay everybody knew so they waited till they were embarrassed and still he had not opened the doors of the upper room and when they when they opened the door they found the man they found this overly obese man with his guts spilled out um this is this is what's happening here i want you guys to just 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 get a picture of this you can see this all through the text it gets it gets it gets pretty it gets pretty r-rated it gets pretty r-rated it gets pretty it gets it gets pretty um pretty real in this in this book here's the unfortunate reality of this and i hope you guys are starting to catch on to where i'm going with this is that what judges reveals is judges reveals the condition of man mankind's condition judges reveals who we are judges exposes us yeah when people say the bible is boring they don't know what they're talking about they have no idea what they're talking about um there's some stuff in here that when you actually go back and you read it maybe one day maybe one day i'll do a series i'll do just a preaching series on all the r-rated and x-rated parts of the bible there's some stuff in the bible that you will read in the bible's words that people would wouldn't dare do a movie about (laughs) and release it for public consumption or for mass audience or for the mainstream there's stuff in here that wouldn't that you wouldn't even accept played in your house and yet it's in (laughs) the word this holy bible this bible that is holy has all these ugly things in it going back to what i was saying before don't presume that everything that is in the bible is condoned by god the bible is simply exposing what's going on in the world and in its time I've said this so many times. Don't assume because it's in the Bible that God accepts it. Or because it's in the Bible that God says, well, it's okay. Remember, this scripture is a narrative. It is a narrative. So when you see racism in the Bible, because racism is in the Bible, it doesn't mean that God condones racism. When you see, um, you know, orgies and and prostitution when you see those things you don't assume that the bible condones it you 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 when you see slavery i love that one that one's a good one because people go well slavery is in the bible how could slavery be in the bible do we accept that because this bible is not a book of rules this bible is here to expose the truth and the truth is christ are y'all with me here? The Bible's here just simply expose the heart of God. Yes, when you see in the Bible, even the, 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 the kings with multiple wives, when you see all these things in the Bible, when you see misogyny, when you see, because it's all over the scripture, it does not mean that the Bible condones it. Does not mean that. But rather, it was intended to reveal to you the message, the story of what God is doing through a people. Go back again, go watch the other read and rants because I spent a lot of time on that, okay? Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, that is not a law for Christians. 
Okay, it is not a law for Christians. It was not a law for Christians. It was never a law for Christians. It was a law for the children of Israel. Even when he, when Paul says we are not under the law, but we're under grace, it did not even apply to you. Okay, Gentile believer, you were never under the law. Okay, even the laws that you see in this Old Testament, you were never under them. Okay, but there's a message in that. So. I say this because we want to actually now posture ourselves to say, what is God actually saying here? What is he actually revealing? What, what is he revealing to us? What, what is he, what is he speaking to us about? And I pray. And as I've been praying, remember, this is not a Bible study. Again, when that happens, it'll happen. There's so much I would like to break down from this. I'm just all over the place. So stay with me. I just want to get to really what the Lord is revealing to me today. And then we'll shut it down tomorrow. We're going to get started with, um, Judges chapter four, but I want you to notice something here. Short little recap. The children of Israel finally in this land that was promised to them. We said that God gave them the law and the covenant that they would be the nation of priests who would govern the land as God intends to reveal the kingdom of God to the rest of the earth. They were God's reinstitution of his kingdom on earth to rule in the way that God wanted to rule. Why? Because up to this point, mankind was ruling in the way that man desired to rule. Stay with me here. Okay. Stay with me. Remember, we said this yesterday that when we look at the thread of the story, what Joshua is reminding us is that these people who were set aside were not set aside by blood, but they were set aside by faith. They were set aside by covenant, not by blood by covenant. Watch this now. What do I mean by that? It wasn't simply because they were children of Abraham, because what we notice is they were all children of Abraham. Most of the Canaanites were all related to Abraham. Abraham was their distant father. <laughs> so, so all the Canaanites. So then why were these people blessed? Why were these people called? Because God set a covenant for them to rule as he ruled up to this point. People were ruling God's creation. Sorry, people were worshiping God's creation. People were ruling themselves. Stay with me here. The difference between the Canaanites and the Israelites, because they were both distant cousins. Abraham, please do not forget this. Abraham was a pagan man who became a righteous man. Why? Because he believed in God. So therefore, these are all people who were related of the same ethnicity. What distinguished the Israelites from the Canaanites? What distinguished the Israelites from the Hittites, the Hivites, the Perizzites? What distinguished them from them? What distinguished them was the law. That was the distinction between them. Those who did not have the law, that is the covenant with God to serve as God intended to serve, they served themselves. They worshiped idols and they served themselves. 
But the scriptures tell us that mankind does what is right in their own eyes. And in the end, it leads to destruction. You see, what governed the Canaanites was their pleasure and self-preservation. Pleasure, power, self-preservation. I'm going to go slowly here because I don't want you to miss this. The Canaanites were governed by pleasure. They were, co- they were governed by power. They were governed by self-preservation. And in the end, what did they get? Barbarism. In the end, what did they get? Racism and, and ethnic cleansing. In the end, what did they get? They got sexism. In the end, what did they get? Do you, do you see where I'm going here? In those days, women were seen as meat and as property. They weren't even treated as human beings. Why? Because they were governed by power. Because men were physically superior to women. And they still are today. The male physical body is superior. It's stronger than a woman's. They automatically presumed that their physical superiority gave them the right to make women inferior. Because they're being governed by power. And so in those days, it was not uncommon for not only women to be treated as property, but to be treated as meat. It was okay in those days for, for, for men to just go and to rape and pillage a woman, to, to abuse a woman. It was a normal thing. Women did not have rights in these governments because these governments were driven by power. The person who had the rights were the person who has the power. In those days, they were governed by preservation, meaning back to Game of Thrones. If you watched Game of Thrones, which I mean, the script was amazing, right? The, the script was amazing. It, it's just it's, it's one of the greatest shows ever written and ever performed. But when you watch Game of Thrones, what is Game of Thrones really about? It's about power and preservation. Everyone on that show is governed by power and preservation. And so now we begin to see everything evil that comes in this world comes out of power and of preservation. Everything evil in the world. And Game of Thrones, what it does is it exposes all. Oh, please don't get me started with the ending. Please don't get me started with the ending. All right. But everything evil in the world comes out of me, myself, and I. Everything. People talk about racism. Racism comes out of self-preservation. I, I will say something that, that, that you know, for those who, who, who have suffered the plight of racism and for those who are, you know, um, or have come from, for the people that come from either side of, of that spectrum, 
I will say something that may make people uncomfortable. But racism actually came from what culture and society would call a good place. Did you hear me? Racism came from something that you would have said, why not? Like, for example, I, I want to protect my people. I want my people to do well. It came out of, in the United States, right? Racism was driven by power. And then once that was removed, then racism was driven by preservation. Today, racism is driven mostly, at least, at least in the United States, is driven by self-preservation. There is an inherent fear that if we let go, we will lose our power or we'll lose. So, so again, I'm ranting. I'm ranting. So just stay with me here. Just stay with me. <laughs> That's become the Isaacism. Right? I, I saw that Isaacism. Stay with me here. So why am I bringing all this up? I'm only bringing this up to reveal to you that even, even sexism, power, racism, preservation, all these things have been driven by me, myself, and I, almost all of them came from a good place, from what we would call a good place. What's wrong with me wanting to help my people? And by the way, that's actually one of the issues that I have with anti-racist movements that simply look to elevate their race. See, that's the problem. You know, if like, for example, there are there there are there are black, like say in the United States, for example, there are black movements, right, that look to simply empower and elevate the black race. And so if we could simply elevate the black race and preserve the black race, right, preserving the black race, elevating or protecting the black race, we have to be very careful because that's a slippery slope in and of itself as well. Because we're actually fighting fire with fire. We're cre the very thing that created the problem is the thing that we're propagating. Again, another conversation for another day. This is all to bring up this point. Is that when you are governed by me, myself, and I, what you get is the Game of Thrones. But what we ought to be governed is not by our own desire, in our own power, in our own ability, in our own self-actualization, in our own identity, in our own sense of self, in our own ego, in our own, these aren't the things that ought to drive us. These aren't the things that ought to govern us. These aren't the things that ought to motivate us because those things lead to destruction. Man does what is right in his own eyes and in the end, it leads to destruction. We ought to be governed by something greater. And this is the distinction that the Israelites had over the Canaanites. The Israelites were not governed by their desire. They were governed by a higher order. They, they were a theocracy. They were governed by Yahweh. And the way Yahweh ruled actually went against their own idea and their own sense of rule and their own sense of what was right and wrong. Yahweh determined what was right and wrong, not them. Yahweh is the one that said, you must follow my order and follow my way of living, not them. 
They were being governed by something fundamentally different. And that's why they were given the law, because the law was intended to expose that what governs them is not how God governs. They were called to be a different government, a separate government. Their government was going to be different. When they would go into the land that is flowing with milk and honey, they were called to eradicate in this land. They were called to eradicate all the other forms of governing. The reason why he said, get rid of the Canaanites, eradicate them, remove them completely. It's because they're the ones who do child sacrifices, daily women raping, daily orgies, daily uh, um racism, all of it. It was all that embodied them. And God is saying, I need to heal this land. There will be bloodshed here so that the land could be healed. And so what he's doing is, is he's calling Israel to come in and to wipe all that out so that they can sit in this government and rule the way that God intends and to show the rest of the world, this is what it means to be governed by God. This is what it means to be ruled by God. And yet, what did they do in this text? They came into the land. Joshua told them to wipe them out. And what did they do? They left them there. They left the Canaanites there. The Canaanites were hard to get rid of. They were strong. They were powerful. Enough blood was shed anyway. Why should we shed more blood? Let's just let them stay. Let them chill. I'm giving you what, I, what we just read just now. Let them chill. Let the Canaanites, let them, let them vibe. Let them vibe. Let them vibe. We're strong now. We don't, we, we don't, it's okay. Just let them chill. They, they, they can, just let them hang there. Let, let them, let them, just let them chill. Let them chill. He said, wipe them out, remove them from the land. Why? Why would God say to remove them from the land? Quite simply because God knew that they would fail in being able to choose between their way and Yahweh. Look what the text tells us. They go in Judges chapter one. Look what the text tells us in verse 27. However, Manasseh did not drive out the inhabitants of Beshion in its villages or Tanakh in its villages or the inhabitants of Dor. So Manasseh left them. Then then verse 29, Ephraim left the Canaanites there. Zebulon left the Canaanites in their land. Asher left the Canaanites in their land. Naphtali left the Canaanites in their land. Dan left the Canaanites in their land when they were supposed to get rid of them. And then he says in, in, in Judges 2 verse 2, he says, and you shall make, look at Judges 2 verse 2, he says, and you shall make no covenant with the inhabitants of this land. You shall tear down their altars. But then what does God say through Joshua? But you have not obeyed my voice. Why have you done this? What is this revealing? He's revealing there's some things in your life there's some people in your life. There's some stuff that's around you that's under the influence of something other than Yahweh, something other than Christ, 
something other than God. And you left those things around you when I told you to get rid of them. I told you to get rid of those things in your life. There's a bad influence in your life. There's some people right now, you got a boyfriend who you know isn't serving God. You know he's governed by something other than God. They were they are against what you believe and yet you still believe and still think that you can live with them and you can still be their friend and you can still bring them into the important parts of your life, bring them into the important parts of your home and into the important parts of the dimensions of your life. You bring them into your marriage, you bring them into your home, you bring them to your children. And notice what the text is telling us is that over time, what happened? They began to serve the same idols that they served. I hope you guys are hearing this because I need you to catch the principle here. This is not about us. It's not a law unto us, but it's revealing something about the heart of man. Is he saying, God is saying something. He's telling them that when those people are around you, their influence is often greater than my law over your heart. He's saying their influence will destroy you. Look what he says. Eventually the text tells us that they became just like the Canaanites. They became just like the Canaanites. They, before they got to the land, they lived like Israel. When they got in the land, they began to live like Canaanites. They were supposed to bring Israel to Canaan, but they let Canaan take over Israel. Did you catch that? And yet it was the will of God because God says, look at the text, verse 14, Judges 2 verse 14, and the anger of the Lord was hot against Israel. So sorry, let me, let me just back this up for a second. So Judges chapter two tells you the story of what's about to happen throughout the rest of the text. He says that they continued to, to, to follow the, the Canaanites. And guess what? When they followed the Canaanites, their way, their way of living, and they became fully entrenched in Canaanite culture. Then they fell into captivity and a judge would come to deliver them. The judges were simply leaders. They were, they were political and military leaders that would come in in those times after a certain period of time would pull them out of bondage. Please, please catch this family. And I hope, I hope you get this is they were supposed to bring Israel to Canaan and yet they let Canaan take over Israel. They were supposed to influence Canaan and they let Canaan influence them. They were supposed to serve the Lord and yet they let culture serve them. Oh man. And so, yes, we see the story of the other judges. We have Othniel, we have Ehud and we have, um, um, uh, in short, uh, um, with, um, Shamgar. And so these are guys that came in to deliver them. And every time they got delivered, what happened? They went back again. Othniel, they got delivered. Then they went back again. They became the Canaanites again. Then Ehud, they got delivered. And then they went back again. Shamgar, they've been delivered. And we're going to see in the next chapter, when we get into four, they go back again. And we're going to see us get into Deborah. But the real thing that I want you to catch here is I want you I want you to really ask yourself the question today. 
is what is governing you. Is it Canaan or is it the grace of God? What is governing you, family? Because here, they were supposed to make Canaan look like Israel. And Israel began to look like the Game of Thrones. They began to live just like them. And oh, how easy it is for us to creep into me, myself, and I. It really speaks into the power of what happens when we preach a message to the ego. We've let culture now govern our doctrine. We let culture govern our ideology. We let culture govern our theologies. We let culture do it. We're not really governed by the love and the grace of God of self-sacrifice. Notice how different God rules. He rules so fundamentally different than the rest of the world. So fundamentally, family, please listen. This is something that's burdening me. It's burdening me. It's burdening me how the church looks like the rest of the world. And I'm not talking about, oh, well, you know, we're committing sins like the rest of the world. No, I'm actually talking about what governs our thinking. In the United States, the church has allowed conservatism to dictate its doctrine when houseway. Evangelicalism is actually really just republicanism with some Bible on it. How sway? And then progressive Christianity is simply socialism with some Bible on it. How sway? How did we let the idols of this world govern our church? We who now are the chosen people, chosen by faith, how did we how did we let cultural thinking drive the way we read our scripture? I'm burdened, family. I'm profoundly burdened. Now we do what just seems right to us, not simply seeking to know what is right for us. We look to now change God and change his face and make God work for us because uh, God exists for us. Not realizing that that's the lie that comes from the pit of hell. How? How did that happen? Even on the conversation on sexuality, I find that both sides of the spectrum, they got it wrong both sides, even those who are against the LGBTQ community. I know some of you are part of that. And there are those who are on both sides and both of the arguments on even the topic of the LGBTQ community is not driven by love and grace, but more about our own laws in our own politics, in our own self-preservation. Both sides are wrong. God told us to rule by self-sacrifice, and yet we rule out of self-preservation and self-actualization. When God told the children of Israel to rule, he told them to rule and to be a holy people, separate 
not living the life that they believe was good for them, but the one that they believe gave glory to God. Is that what drives us today, family? And I'm talking on all spectrums. Something is wrong, family. Something is wrong. Something is wrong with the way we process the challenges of our culture today. Now we're not driven by the word. We're simply driven by what makes cultural sense. And of course, we don't have a good theology for sexuality because the sexuality is focused on self. You understand that where the problem is there. Of course, we don't have good conversations on politics because our politics are focused on self. You know, how we make the most money, what leads to the best, you know, outcome for me and my family. What's best for me and my family is what's best for the world. Since when? There's a problem. And I'm closing. But there's a problem. In America, I'm burdened by the fact that we have a Canaanite church. We have a Canaanite church. Our churches look more like Canaan. We just got a little bit of Jesus on it. And that's the problem with Israel right now. Is Israel is a Canaanite Israel. The rest of Judges is going to be about that. The rest of Judges is going to be how people failed in being a peculiar people, a holy people separate. What Judges is going to be about is how they continue to fall under the consequences of that world because they became part of that world. So family, what governs you today? What governs you? Your own power? Your own preservation? Would you be okay to live a life of continual sacrifice? Would you be okay with living a life of continual risk to your well-being? What drives you? Is it your way? Me, myself, and I? Or is it love? Last point, and I'll close in prayer. Christianity Christianity has become an institution governed by Canaanite thinking. But the church is not Christianity. Matter of fact, in the Bible, we see the term Christian. But we don't see the institution of Christianity. Matter of fact, it was de-institutional. It was a dismantling of the institution. Christianity was not known as Christianity in the Bible. There's actually no Christianity in the Bible. They were just Christians. In the Bible, what it's called is, it's called the way. Did you see that? 
It was called The Way. And that's what they referred it to as, was The Way. And I like that better. Because now it's not a institution, but rather a way of living. So let me ask you a question. Do you live the way? Or are you just in Canaan with a little bit of Bible in it? Because a lot of our churches look more like Canaan. I'm going to call this episode Canaanite Churches. That's my conviction today. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this time that you've given us, Lord, and I uh, I leave with the point with a point of conviction, but I also uh, leave with a point of hope. Lord, I I'm convicted, but I'm hopeful. Because Lord, as we read through this text, we're going to see, Lord, the propensity that we have to be influenced by the world, to be influenced by Canaanite thinking, to be influenced by our egos and our uh, self-desires and self-preservation. But Lord, you continue to show up through this text that these people who are called by your name, even though they failed, you continue to show up. They continue to fail and yet you continue to bail them out. God, how often is it that you've bailed us out? You've bailed us out so many times when we governed and we ruled by things other than your law, your love, your way. So, Father, we know, Lord, that you've accomplished for us what we could not accomplish for ourselves. So I ask today that you would teach me, teach us your way. As you've said in your word, show us your way that we may know you. Father, show us your way. Lord, by the spirit of grace upon us, allow us to be Christ everywhere we go. Lord, that we wouldn't be influenced by culture, by Canaan, but that we would be influenced by your spirit. And we say that in Jesus' name. Amen.